Medicare hospital-at-home waivers have now been extended for another two years. So how has the model changed throughout the pandemic, and what could it look like in the future? It's Monday, January 23rd. I'm Jay Carlisle Larson, and this is Just Healthcare Daily. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Congress, in its $1.7 trillion end-of-year spending bill, included a provision that extended Medicare hospital-at-home waivers through 2024. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services Acute Hospital Care-at-Home Waiver debuted in November 2020, as COVID volume strained hospitals and impacted patient care. I'm Jay Carlisle Larson, and this is Just Healthcare Daily. The waiver, available only to inpatient hospitals, waives CMS's 24-hour on-site nursing requirement, allowing hospitals to be reimbursed for providing Medicare beneficiaries with hospital-level care in their homes. According to the most recent data from CMS, 114 systems, including 260 hospitals in 37 states, have been approved to provide hospital-at-home services. On today's episode, we listen to my conversation with Dr. Pippa Schulman. She's the chief medical officer for Medically Home, a tech-enabled company that works with health systems to develop and implement hospital-at-home programs. Dr. Shulman previously joined the podcast to talk about hospital-at-home during the pandemic. In our conversation, she told me how far the model has come since 2020. At that time, there was so much we didn't know. The one certainty that seemed to be out there was the challenges that hospitals were having with capacity. And we were getting phone calls from all over the country. How can we create new beds? How can we move patients or keep patients in their homes? Can you help? We had a customer that we talked to that went live from conversation to first patient in 29 days. It was a really rushed uh, time, quite frankly. And this was even before CMS had issued reimbursement pathway for home hospital, which came later that fall. In that time, Medically Home has expanded to about 17 states across about as many customers. And we're really set up well for thinking about what our pandemic landscape looks like now, where the need for flexible, dynamic hospital capacity exists as it existed before the pandemic, as it existed during the pandemic, 
And we are helping health systems think about how to decentralize their care away from their facilities so that they can keep their staffing levels where they should be so that they can not have to cancel elective procedures so they can have enough beds for the really sick patients that need intensive level care. CMS's hospital at home waivers were extended through 2024 as part of Congress's end of year spending bill. What would you like to see happen with CMS and reimbursements over the next two years? Attached to that extension is the press on CMS to come up with a permanent solution for reimbursement so that we're not in this kind of waiver extension limbo beyond uh, 2024. This allows us as a community, as a wider hospital home community, to see more patients in the model, to collect more data, to be able to analyze the incredible experience that folks are having around the country. You know, we are seeing and hearing, and, and there is some of the published literature around, you know, decreased readmission rates, sometimes by more than half or even 60 plus percent. We are seeing uh, decreased mortality of patients in the home hospital versus the bricks and mortar hospital. We are seeing very high patient satisfaction with this model. There's still so much that we have to study and that the extension allows the opportunity to not only move towards a path of permanence, but also really set up the framework for quality in home hospital and spread that more broadly. So one thing that I'm curious about is that it seems as though there may be a misconception out there about which patients actually participate in hospital at home or even who's eligible to participate in the model. Can we talk about who's actually taking advantage of hospital at home and have we seen any population shifts? Thank you so much for asking that question. There's a lot of misconception out there around what patients are eligible for home hospital and who's benefiting from this model. And, you know, some of the misconception is that, you know, only patients with incredibly supportive family uh, caregiving situations or patients that live in a certain kind of house uh, are eligible. And really, that couldn't be farther from the truth. The CMS waiver opened up the opportunity for not only Medicare patients to be cared for under the waiver, but also Medicaid and duly eligible patients. And, and these represent some of the most vulnerable in our healthcare ecosystem. We have customers that are seeing 40 or 50% of their patients are Medicaid. And that's not a perfect proxy for patients who are maybe more vulnerable or, or have uh, higher socioeconomic needs, but it's, it's what we have right now. So we're really interested in following that. We're also getting a lot more experience with how can we make this caregiving model work for patients who don't have caregivers and about a third or more of our patients live alone and maybe don't have a family or a friend or someone who looks after them nearby. And they can be safely cared for in this model. We are also seeing and making sure that there's access to patients who are non-English speaking or patients who may... Uh, not have a traditional home? Are they couch surfing? Are they living in temporary housing? And this is happening all over the country. And what we've shown is that the, the hospital at home can be safely done for patients in all kinds of circumstances. And what I love about the idea of this is that, you know, in a bricks and mortar hospital, when that patient is in a bed, 
I don't know anything about their home situation, and I'm making a plan for their discharge that does not take any of that into account. And it's one of the reasons that patients get readmitted. They're not successful with their discharge plan because I've, I've made it according to what I think is right. When we are seeing that patient in their home environment, whether it's a chaotic home environment or an isolated environment or a somewhat deprived environment, we can actually make a plan that takes that into consideration, shores up some of the weak areas, maybe removes some of the barriers um, that patients are actually able to fit into how they truly live. That might be you know, getting an additional source of meals or a new kind of transportation or even just a plan for isolation. And, and that is what has the real true impact on healthcare utilization and use of facilities, quite frankly. And, and that's what I'm most excited about. And that's the data I wanna see more of so that we can publish those great outcomes. While more hospitals are now implementing a hospital at home model and hospitals with these programs are seeing more patients in the model, there's still a long way to go to scale up this model at the national level. So how does a company like Medically Home get buy-in from hospitals, physicians, and even patients? First, I want to really double click on something that you said around scale, which is so critical because part of the the waiver extension opportunity is to really move past a pilot phase and into scale. We have customers that have reached about 10% of their beds in their bricks, you know, of their bricks and mortar beds being in the virtual hospital. We are breaking past some of those scale barriers. You know, customers where their acute census is upwards of 30 or more. Many programs, yes, are, you know, around the country are still quite small. I think these next two years have to be about proving it at scale, and, and we're well on our way to doing that. And really, you know, no more pilots. We have The outcomes have been proven. Let's get this going. The culture change piece of that, which you've asked about, is so critically important. And more and more, we're seeing uh, evidence, and we're really trying to have our customers get that out in the literature, that in many ways, home hospital care can be better particularly for certain patients and populations than bricks and mortar hospital care. A great example is uh, heart failure patients and particularly older heart failure patients, patients over 65, who so often have a readmission rate in excess of 20 plus percent or more. And there's a lot of pressure to get them out of the hospital quickly. And so they don't get diuresed adequately and we end up in this cycle. And we're seeing evidence out of some of our customers and we're hoping they'll get this into the literature soon where you're able to really monitor diuresis in a different way, get those patients decongested and prevent a lot of downstream utilization and readmissions. That's a better outcome of care. We talked about the mortality data, right? Better than bricks and mortar, the satisfaction. I think that's the shift we need to make is really understand which populations are bricks and mortar hospitals best for, and then everybody else, the default option for that, your care is that you're going home. And that's what I'm really most excited about. There are a record number of healthcare workers, physicians, nurses, etc., who are leaving the industry because they're burned out. Burnout as an issue predates the pandemic, but it's definitely gotten worse over the last few years. And we've seen that play out with really significant staffing shortages. So how does the hospital at home model play a role in alleviating some of that stress on healthcare workers in brick and mortar settings in particular? 
while also working to guarantee that high-quality care is still being delivered. Burnout, particularly amongst physicians and nurses, is one of the number one things that we think about. When we partner with a health system, you know, it, it is their physicians and their nurses that are going to be working in the model, uh, in the command center uh, staff remotely. What we've seen is that when you are really able to set up your home hospital as a, a team sport, medicine is a team sport, we say that all the time, but when that command center nurse is able to call on an array of field providers, whether it's a, a specially trained community paramedic, whether it's a nurse going in to do a, a wound care, whether it's a lobotomist, and it's not that nurse having to run around a floor hunting and gathering and making sure the documentation standards are met and responding to five different call bells, but the nurse is actually able to manage a team, you know, supervised and overseen by the physician, that opens up a new possibility in how we think about staffing. And we are hearing and seeing from the teams that it, they're actually spending more functional time with patients and less time on the non-value added tasks. And so that is creating satisfaction for nurses and physicians in this model. And we're seeing our health system partners be able to retain staff that were going to walk out the door after the stress of the pandemic. You know, experienced, seasoned nurses who are saying, you know what, I want to stay because this model of care allows me to be a nurse, to spend time with my patient, managing their care plan, teaching, and supporting them through this illness. We're seeing the same thing on the physician side, that when you offer folks you know, often the physicians in the model are working uh, maybe part of their shifts in the bricks and mortar and part of their shifts in the command center. That creates a job satisfaction and a doability that didn't exist before. And so I think hospital at home and particularly the idea of decentralization of the healthcare system as being a tool to help prevent and maybe even reverse some of the impacts of burnout that we're seeing across the country. What types of policy or payment innovations do you hope to see for the hospital at home model in the future? To me, unshackling the payment question, the reimbursement question, opens up so many possibilities for the wider decentralization of care away from facilities. How can we keep patients out of the bricks and mortar hospital? both for their emergency care, for their hospital level care, and keep them better connected to care in their community. That's the opportunity. And it is a mind frame shift, but it's also a reimbursement and payment shift, unfortunately. And to be able to open that up, you know, the waivers, the public health emergency waivers and the waiver extension are a, a small opening. But I envision a day and we're already treating patients uh, with partners in some markets where we're able to have a patient that maybe came into an urgent care facility, got it imaging, got their labs, and in fact can go home and receive their hospital care at home without stepping into a bricks and mortar hospital. Back that up even further, you know, partnering with health systems that aren't as reliant on Medicare fee-for-service, you know, maybe uh, taking risk. Um, and th that patient could be at home and have the emergency department in the home come to them be evaluated in their space and actually escalated, you know, to the home hospital and then discharged back without ever stepping into a bricks and mortar facility. That's the opportunity for healthcare transformation and for creating a true patient-centered healthcare system. 
How is Medically Home focused on that? And what are you focused on in 2023 and beyond? 2023 is really going to be a period of growth and returning back to that idea of scale for Medically Home. We have incredible partners already, you know, starting with our our investor partners, Kaiser Permanente and Mayo Clinic. And we want to see their programs grow and expand to their goals. We are already seeing great success there and, and they will continue to grow. But we have health system partners across the country that have either been open for just a few months or, or more than a year. And we want to help them get to a scaled model in their in their system so that it is both financially sustainable, but also providing great clinical benefit to that system. We're also really thinking about this continuum of care. We've talked a lot about, you know, this emergency department in the home, you know, expanding that model out of our initial states where we're, we're in and really linking that to an incredible experience for patients being able to receive all of that care in their home. And then really understanding how we can best serve the primary care community and make sure that they're able to intervene with their patients wherever they are, whether that's in rural communities, you know, across the state or in some of the geographies where we already are. So we're going to be seeing a lot of growth, you know, some in the traditional sort of health system, hospital at home arena, but also this idea of supporting this, the ecosystem of decentralized care more broadly and seeing the opportunity expand. That was Dr. Pippa Shulman, Chief Medical Officer for Medically Home. She joined me to talk about how the hospital at home model may look in 2023 and beyond. This is Just Healthcare Daily. I'm Jake Carlisle Larson. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or a review. It helps other listeners find the program. We'll be back with healthcare business and policy news updates tomorrow, as always, in 10 minutes or less. You can check out more insights on healthcare business and policy news at gisthealthcare.com. You can also get these insights emailed directly to your inbox when you subscribe to our newsletter, The Weekly Gist. The Gist Healthcare Daily Podcast is an independent production of Gist Healthcare, a Kaufman Hall company. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.